0: welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series four and episode five and our topic is dealing with anger. If you've been following the episodes in series four you'll know that we are studying the Sermon on the Mount. We are looking at Matthew chapters five, six and seven which is a substantial bulk of teaching that Jesus delivers on one occasion when he is part of the way up a, a mountainside. He's got a large crowd in the background, but he's addressing his teaching particularly to his disciples. He's just appointed his 12 apostles, and there are many other disciples too. He's moved now to a new phase of ministry where he's trying to form the Christian community by showing the lifestyle that it will live. So the Sermon on the Mount is essentially about Christian discipleship lifestyle. And in the previous episodes, we've looked at a number of important issues, which you just need to keep in mind. Luke's version of This sermon of Jesus, this teaching of Jesus, appears in Luke chapter 6 and there's a separate section there, the section entitled Blessings and Woes, in which he explains that opposition and persecution is very likely to come to his followers and to encourage them to find a sense of blessing in knowing God's presence and God's promise for them even when they're experiencing hardships and difficulties. And then, moving to Matthew's account, in our second episode, we looked at the Beatitudes, the inner attitudes of character that underlie Christian discipleship, and we noted as a matter of interest that Jesus starts with character and attitude, the inside of us, as it were, the inner life, rather than defining outward things that we must do, and we'll find this same pattern in in the teaching we're going to look at today where the inner attitude turns out to be more important than just the outer action. Then we continued in our study and we saw the two images or metaphors Jesus uses of his disciples as the salt of the earth or the light of the world and then in our last episode a very important one Matthew 5 verses 17 to 20 we saw Jesus explain the relationship of his teaching to the Old Testament particularly the Old Testament law of Moses and also the traditional rules and regulations of the Pharisees and the other religious leaders and we noted last time that Jesus showed great respect for the Old Testament And explained that he wasn't abolishing it or doing away with it, but that he was fulfilling it, bringing it to its final destined purpose and conclusion by bringing in the new covenant. So we noted that the laws of the Old Testament, the laws of Moses, are not laws that we as Christians are under unless a particular law ...has been taken up by Jesus or one of the other New Testament writers and applied to the church. Now we're going to find an example of that in the passage here. That happens very rarely. So the law of Moses is obsolete. It's not relevant to us now. We're not living by the law of Moses. But there are a few particular laws, particularly moral laws, that are applied to the church either by Jesus or by one of the other New Testament writers or apostles. So that's the framework of thinking that we are adopting, and that's the way we have seen Jesus explain what he's doing. He's not abolishing the Old Testament, he's fulfilling it, and he basically said that all the outward religious laws of the Jews, and there were hundreds of laws at the time, would never be enough. To enable people to find salvation and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a very remarkable thought. And it goes against all of human thinking because almost every religious tradition is based on the idea that if you fulfill enough of the religious duties of that particular religion, it will bring you some form of salvation now or in another life after this one. Jesus tells us something very different. He shows us that the basis of salvation is never going to be in religious duties and following laws. It's going to be in God's grace and in your faith in believing in Jesus, death on the cross and the forgiveness that he offers you through it. However, Jesus, at the same time, makes it clear that his followers will actually have a moral life which is deeper, more profound than those of the Pharisees and the other teachers who had hundreds of religious rules to guide them. And he's now going to explain this fully in the passage that we're going to study. But let me just go back to the previous verse, Matthew 5.20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So something deeper than just obeying the rules and regulations of Judaism was needed. And that deeper reality he now begins to describe. And he's particularly dealing with the issue of anger in the next few verses, which are our passage for today. And it's Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you'll not get out. Until you have paid the last penny. Let's go back to the beginning of this passage in order to try and understand its meaning more clearly. The topic appears to be murder, but it turns out to be anger. Verse 21, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now we need to pause here and just analyze that statement. Because in that quotation, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, there are two statements put into one that have two very different sources. And this is a key to understanding what Jesus is getting at. The first phrase, you shall not murder, is a direct quotation from the Ten Commandments. But the second phrase, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, is a saying of the Jews. And the two were added together by the Jews in that traditional statement there. So we need, first of all, to be aware that it's the first half of the quotation that is literally the word of god it comes from exodus 20. now clearly as jesus is teaching on this we realize that he goes much beyond the action of murder and he goes much deeper into the human heart we're coming to that in a minute but first of all let's just go back and have a little bit of thought about the ten commandments themselves i'm going to go back into Exodus 20 where the 10 commandments first appear they also appear and are reiterated by Moses 40 years later in Deuteronomy 5 but the first statement of them is here in Exodus 20 and the first three commands are about how we relate to God and honour him having no other God not having an image and not misusing his name those are the first three commands the fourth commandment We've looked at in other episodes in series three, which is the commandment about the Sabbath. And then the fifth commandment onwards, these are commands about practical living in community. They're about social stability. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually read... Those commandments from verse 12 onwards, which obviously includes the command not to murder, which appears in verse 13, because I want to just give the context of this commandment. First of all, verse 12, honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, these commands are to create a just and a stable society. First of all, the honouring of parents is given as an important principle. And then come commands that become relevant for us because they're reiterated in the Sermon on the Mount. We have, you shall not murder, and then you shall not commit adultery. So the commandment... Not to murder is to preserve the sanctity of life because human life comes from God. We are made man and woman in the image of God, according to Genesis chapter one. And murder is prohibited in Israel. An individual cannot take the law into their own hands and kill another individual. The taking of human life can only be done by those with judicial Authority, public authority, and you can only do it in the name of that authority. So, a person's individual decision to kill another is always wrong in Judaism and it takes away a human life that God had created. And God, as the sovereign over that life, can bring that life to an end at a time that He chooses. This was the basic position that the Jews held concerning murder. And the sanctity and value of human life. Now, this is the background to this saying here in Matthew. If we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21. You shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, Jesus is endorsing that law and that principle so here's an example of something in the old testament that is taken forward into the new testament and it becomes as relevant to us as christians as the command was to the jewish people under the old covenant because it was given in the law of moses but its relevance to us is defined by the fact that jesus reiterates it and applies it to his disciples however He doesn't just leave it there. He adds this interesting phrase, but I tell you. So he takes an Old Testament law and he deepens it. He goes inside the human heart because we all know that murder, that is the intentional killing of another person, not the accidental killing. The intentional killing involves attitudes of anger and hatred and opposition to that person that are very deep rooted in the individual. Otherwise they wouldn't take such a drastic action. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And Jesus goes on and explain, you know, even cursing people, calling them a fool, Is a risky thing to do if it's an expression of a heart attitude that's a continuous heart attitude. So basically, Jesus in these verses identifies two underlying issues. One is a state of ongoing anger, and the second one is an attitude of contempt. For other people and he warns that these attitudes in themselves will ultimately bring about the judgment of God. People will be in danger of the fire of hell if they continue in these attitudes so they are completely inappropriate for the Christian disciple. Now for Christian disciples When you say to them, well, you're not allowed to murder anyone else, we would say, yeah, well, we understand that. We have absolutely no intention or inclination to do that whatsoever. And for most of us, we can say that for most of our lives. It just doesn't come into our thinking for all sorts of obvious reasons. But if we then asked ourselves the question, do we have a state of ongoing anger? Do we have an attitude of contempt? For other people, we're willing to curse them and look down on them and dismiss them, then that's a much more difficult issue to deal with for us. Much a harder question for us to answer, isn't it? Because this is about ongoing heart attitudes. And Jesus then uses two illustrations to indicate the sort of thing we should do if we have these angry and negative attitudes towards other people. First of all, he illustrates it from the Jewish temple. Now, all Jewish men had to go up to the temple to make sacrifices. There were three main feasts or festivals in the year, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles, and they would go up as often as they could. Women often came with them, but it was the obligation of men to represent their families and to make sacrifices there. And so they would all have in mind this experience of making a sacrifice At the temple. This is a very religious moment for them, one of great personal sacrifice because they've either bought with money or bought with them an animal from their flock which they're going to allow to be sacrificed, something like a goat or a sheep to be sacrificed in the temple, and they're giving away the value of that animal which was very valuable in those days in order to worship God. And they're going to come and they're going to pray to him and they're going to pray in the temple and take time away from work to worship God and try and deal with the sins in their lives. That was their mindset. And Jesus said, even though you're doing something as important as that, if you're on the way to the temple, you're just about to make the sacrifice and you realize you've upset somebody else, they're really upset with you. You know it's your fault because the fault of the person in the temple is implied by the story the way it's told you're at fault then it's more important to deal with that issue than to carry out a religious sacrifice and the fault there is probably the fault of anger there's probably been some arguments and disputes some breakup of a relationship some controversy, you've said some harsh things, you've expressed angry attitudes, maybe you've criticised them, maybe you've said you fool to somebody or something worse than that. We can all imagine what that might be in our own languages. But in that situation, Jesus is basically saying the religious action you're carrying out is far less important than what's going on inside you. You need to sort it out. And interestingly enough, Quickly, There's an emphasis in Jesus' teaching on dealing with these things quickly. Don't let them fester. Don't let them stay inside your life for a long time. They're much more difficult to deal with if you do that. And he takes the second example from the Jewish religious courts that met up and down the country. And he imagines a situation where you have fallen out with somebody Maybe you've expressed anger to them. Maybe you've cursed them in a similar way to Jesus described in the earlier verses. And you're going with this adversary who's bringing a case against you in the court for the things you've done and said. And maybe some other actions that have taken place alongside your anger, because anger usually leads to other actions and all sorts of negative things follow anger, as we all know. And Jesus said, if you're going to the court, don't wait till you get before the judge and get condemned unjudged and, and maybe end up in prison with a fine to pay, no, be reconciled. Ask for forgiveness, change your attitude, give up your anger, give up your judgmental attitudes. So two very vivid examples from everyday life that everyone who heard Jesus say this would relate to. They'd all been to the temple, they'd all experienced the local courts and seen people going to the local courts. That is not where they wanted to be. So, let's try and make some applications for ourselves. Let's reflect on this, find some helpful reflections, and make some applications that we can find helpful. First thing to notice is that anger is a very powerful emotion. I don't need to tell you that. You know that from your own experience. But Jesus is quite clear in underlining this reality. Anger is very powerful, and it leads to fairly drastic outcomes usually. And not only is anger a powerful emotion, but it needs to be overcome. Anger is almost always based on negative things within ourselves. And we have to deal with it quickly. Jesus implies here that you need to go and apologise to people if you've become angry and started shouting at them or done other negative things towards them. Go and apologise and seek forgiveness and reconciliation. Wow, that's a difficult thing to do, isn't it, when we get angry? But it's part of Christian discipleship. Now, the other person may not receive your apology. That's their responsibility. You have no responsibility for how they respond. But you do have a responsibility for taking the issue to them. The other thing that emerges from here is the fact that it's actually God who is the judge. Now, if people have wronged you and it makes you angry. I can understand that. It's happened to me many times. It's happened to you probably many times. And some of those things can be incredibly painful and deep. They can have a big influence on your life. I'm not trying to minimize all that, but God is the judge. And he always will deal with people and hold them accountable for the things that they have done on the day of judgment. You can be sure of that. No one will be able to avoid the penetrating gaze of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Day of Judgment, who knows everything. Our whole lives are open to him. We hand that responsibility over to him. But what we don't want to do as Christians is to allow anger to remain with us and to then start contaminating our lives and to contaminating other people so I want to just draw your attention to an important passage that Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verses 26 and 27 he's here talking about how Christians in Ephesus should conduct their lives he's being very practical and he says in verse 26 in your anger do not sin Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Deal with anger immediately through repentance and through self-awareness, where anger is driving you forward. And through forgiveness. Now, forgiveness has a tremendous power to break the stronghold of anger in our lives. And the risk is that if we remain angry, we give the devil a foothold. This expression suggests that the satanic forces of darkness want to exploit the weaknesses of Christian disciples and anger and hatred and judgmental attitudes towards other people are an area that they will exploit. They'll magnify the issue within us and make it one that makes our discipleship unfruitful, unless we deal with it. And so, anger and unforgiveness undermine the reality of Christian discipleship. And so we need to ask ourselves the question The practical question as we come to the end of this session, well, what's the application to me? What's the application to you? I don't know your life circumstances. I do know that some of you listening to this will have had incredibly painful life circumstances where you have suffered a lot at the hands of other people. I respect that. I take it seriously. But still I believe that the way forward for us as Christians is to forgive and to break the control of a simmering anger. Now, some people adopt another strategy. They know that anger is wrong and they suppress it. They internalize it. It becomes part of their inner emotion, but very rarely, if ever, seen by other people. This too is dangerous. It leads to depression and other emotional difficulties and it doesn't resolve the issue. So I would encourage you to face the anger that you may feel, long-term anger or short-term anger, and deal with it directly. Don't allow it to be a basis for judgmental sin criticism, hostile activities against other people, forgive those people. And forgive yourself if you feel you have done something unforgivable that you're angry with yourself about. And come into the freedom of those people who do not let anger control themselves. Now, this is one of many issues that are part of Christian discipleship. But it's an incredibly important one we know that anger and division can be a root of bitterness as the writer to hebrew says and divide people divide families divide marriages divide churches divide communities and it therefore has to be rooted out therefore jesus teaching here in matthew is of incredible importance to us and i invite you as we end this episode to take a few minutes to reflect and think and pray yourself and allow this scripture to become part of your life in a fresh way. Take whatever action you need to take and I'd encourage you to do it as quickly as you can because anger can be a habit. Unforgiveness can be very self-justifying and create a great pattern of self-justification and self-pity within the human person and so that is not part of Christian discipleship. We can be free of all that and I've known that freedom in my own life. It is a wonderful liberating freedom and it takes ourself out of the centre. We, we need to put Christ in the centre of our lives. Our own self-justification is not important. His glory is very important. So let's glorify him by dealing with this issue in our own lives and allowing the Sermon on the Mount to transform us as it has the power to do. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.